This morning I get the pleasure of continuing our series known as The Real Jesus. We're in part 33 this week um, so, and we're going to be looking in Matthew's Gospel where we go through and we look to see who the real Jesus is. We're wanting to see the genuine article. We're taking Jesus, take the illustration of like a five pound note and we're putting him up to the light to see what he's really like, see the genuine article. And we're doing that by going through Matthew's Gospel and we're Matthew 14 verses 22 to 36 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, now's the time to flip open to Matthew 14. If you haven't, please stick your hand up and Ron is poised, ready and waiting with the red Bibles to hand out. There's a couple down here. Brilliant. Now, in Matthew 14, we're going to be looking at Um, a really important passage of the Bible and we're going to be seeing what happens when even Jesus' own followers make a bit of a mistake. They mistake the real Jesus for someone and something else because the disciples, they're under pressure. They're in a time of difficulty. They're in a time of need. Everything's coming at them at once. Everything's on top of them. And we can often feel the same. Maybe you feel the same. Maybe you feel like everything's against you at the moment. The situation you're in, maybe you feel like it's spiralling out of control. There's not much you can do. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to read through this passage of the Bible and then we're going to work through it bit by bit and we're going to see what it has to say to us in the situation we're in and what the real Jesus is going to do for us. And we're going to see that in compared to Peter and the other disciples. So we're in Matthew 14... Start in, starting in verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat and the wind died down, those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they crossed over, they landed in Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. That's a long passage. There's a lot in there. So I'm just going to pray that we get something out of it. Father, I thank you that we can come to you, that we can... Uh, worship you this morning through song but also we can encounter you through your word Uh, I pray that you would speak to each and every single one of us this morning Lord 
now might be a good time just to pray for yourself in, in your head and just pray that God would speak to you. And if you would also pray for me, that pray that I would do a good job and that I would speak clearly. Jesus, this is your time. Use it as you will. Amen. So often we've seen this passage. Many of us who've been around church at any time at all will have probably heard this story before. It's, it's, it's a well-known one. Many, many a child has done it in Sunday school. I know I remember doing it with the kids here at the school and we teach the kids about Jesus walking on the water. But what we're going to do is we're going to go through it and we're going to see what it has to teach us with fresh eyes today and we're going to fix our eyes on the real Jesus and what this tells us about that. And so the title I've given this morning is He Who Rules the Waves. We're looking at He Who Rules the Waves. And we see in verse 22, immediately Jesus makes the disciples get in the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. The first question we need to ask is immediately after what? What, What's happened? Well, it's immediately after what Rich was speaking about last week because... uh, Jesus is having one heck of a day. It is ridiculously hectic day for Jesus. First off, it starts out, he finds out that his, his dear friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, has been brutally murdered. And then Jesus, quite understandably, is probably upset. He's wanting to mourn the death of his friend. And he's probably got a niggling in the back of his mind knowing... I'm probably next to get killed for what I'm saying. And so he is under real pressure and he tries to get some alone time with God, his father, but no, he doesn't get it because a whole crowd of people follow him. Thousands of them come out from everywhere to hear Jesus teach. And Jesus then does a whole day of preaching and teaching, which just to let you know is exhausting, okay? Just to say so a bit of sympathy there. But Jesus spent a whole day preaching and teaching and then after all of that he then has to sort out the logistical nightmare of trying to feed thousands of people which he does with the help of a pretty nifty miracle which Rich spoke about last week and if you missed that you can get that on our website just go to the sermons tab and you'll be able to hear it there but Jesus is having a really (coughs) hectic day And after he's dismissed the disciples, he dismissed the crowd, we then see in verse 23 that he went up onto a mountainside by himself to pray. Now Jesus has got some alone time. Now Jesus can refresh. Now Jesus can get into the presence of God and rest with his heavenly Father. You see, when things are getting tough, the real Jesus prays. He spends time with his heavenly father. He spends time in the presence of God and receives rest. So I just want to ask, if you're a Christian here and you you follow Jesus, are you being like him? Are you getting time with your heavenly father? Especially in tough situations. If Jesus, the son of God himself, come as man, needed time alone with his Father in heaven. How much more do we need it? Sunday mornings are great. Small group is great. But it's not necessarily enough. You need some alone time with God your Father to build a personal relationship with him. But while Jesus is praying, the disciples 
are in their own high-pressure situation. They are hitting a problem, or I should say being hit by a problem. Because in verse 24, we see that the boat was a considerable distance from the land, being buffeted by the waves, because the wind is against them. A storm has hit this lake. The, The disciples are in the midst of a storm where in this lake the winds could whip up in no time. It would like get funnelled between a mountainous region right across the lake. The winds would pick up some serious speed and fierce storms would brew in moments. Now, you might be having a deja vu moment, okay? And I'm not talking about those of you who've seen that awful film by Denzel Washington where he's doing the same thing over and over again, saving this woman in the past. It's a terrible film. But you may be having a moment where you go, hang on, haven't I heard this before? Haven't the disciples been here before? Well, in Matthew chapter 8, all the ingredients is there. The disciples are there, a boat's there, a lake's there, and a storm is there. And what did the disciples do in that moment? Well, they went and woke up Jesus, who was sleeping on the boat, and then Jesus gets up, says, what's going on? Rebukes the wind and the waves, which stop immediately, listening to Jesus' voice, and then Jesus turns around and tells off the disciples for not having enough faith. Now, I like to think that if I was a disciple, I would remember that moment. I would like to think that that would be etched onto my brain, so deeply ingrained that I'm not likely to forget that moment. I, I like to think that I would be in the moment, in the middle of the storm, we, a boat would be rocking, the wind would be blowing, the rain hitting us hard. I like to think that I would be the one at that moment to turn around and go, hang on guys, wait, 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 we've been here before. We've been here before, guys, and if my memory serves me right, all we need to do is rebuke the wind and the waves in the name of Jesus, and we'll be okay. Maybe that's just me, but maybe the disciples did remember that. But maybe they're just scared. In that moment when a storm hit them, fear and doubt creeps in. And stops them from acting who they are in Christ. Who they are as followers of Jesus. They didn't let the truth change them, change their thinking and how they acted. Romans 12.2 tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And that moment they couldn't test and approve what God's will is because they hadn't been transformed by the renewing of their mind. They hadn't let the truth of who they are as disciples of Jesus creep in. But as well as fear and doubt, I think they also had sheer determination and self-reliance in the moment. Which, to be honest, had got them quite far. It says they got a considerable distance from the land. The disciples... They're not just your town folk, ordinary uh, people who've got office jobs and never worked a hard day's labour in their life. The disciples knew which way round to hold their tools. They knew how to sail a boat. These guys were, many of them, seasoned fishermen who'd spent day after day, night after night, of years of their life going out on this lake and fishing and doing a good job in it. And we see that they go out in sheer determination. 
Because at the start of 25, it says, during the fourth watch of the night. Now, this is quite late, okay? The Romans split the night up into four watches, which were about three hours each. And it started in the early evening when the disciples went out at 6 p.m. And by the fourth watch, so that's nine hours later of rowing across a lake in the midst of a storm at about between three and six in the morning, then the wind's smashing against the boat. And they're still fighting on, rowing further and further out into the lake. They've got to be tired. They've still got a long way to go before they get to where they're supposed to be. They're probably only around halfway out. Pressure is building. Things are getting on top of them. They're in trouble. They're being buffeted by the waves. The wind is against them. It's spiralling out of control. They're not careful. They're going to be blown off course. But they're thinking, press on. Keep calm. Carry on. We know what we're doing. The storm is like the engine light on your car, flashing, telling them something's wrong, and they're just sticking a bit of tape over it and rowing on, driving on, just ignoring it. Let's go. We can do this. It will be all right. Do you act like the disciples? I often act like the disciples. I often want to just battle on through storms in my life. When the pressure's on, when a storm hits, when you're busy, when there's loads to be done, everything's on top of you. The list of things to do is just growing. Stress levels are high, and I often think, I've just got to get on, push on, get through this. I, I often have the time where I go, do you know what, there's a lot to do, I don't really have time to spend with God right now. I've got a lot of things to do, and a lot of these things are really big, important things, storms in my life, and I think, do you know what, even if I had time with God now, my, I, he wouldn't get my undivided attention, so what i Thing is I'll just get through this situation. I'll just get these jobs out the way and then once that's done, I can then come free into the presence of God. I can now spend time with my father. But guess what? The time never permits. Another wave comes along and buffets my boat pushes me a bit more off course. The wind always blows a bit harder or another storm whips up into a frenzy. Instead, what we should do, what I should do, is fix my eyes on Jesus like we were saying in worship. Stop going on in my own strength. Stop going on in self-reliance. I should put God first like the real Jesus does in verse 23. I should spend time with my heavenly father. And guess what? Whenever I've done that, somehow there ends up being time for the other stuff. Somehow the winds calm down, the storm either dissipates or I'm given renewed strength to push on. Verse 25 then says, 
During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. This is the really amazing thing, though. This is the the thing that I just find absolutely astonishing about God. Because even though the disciples, they're doing everything wrong. They're not doing anything they should have. They've not learned from the previous experience in the storm. They've completely forgotten everything or just stopped paying attention to it. But Jesus still comes to them. He meets them where they're at. In the midst of their storm. And Jesus is there to meet you in the midst of your storm. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never decided to follow Jesus in your life. You're not a Christian and you're here today, which is fantastic. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus is walking out towards you in your storm. Jesus is here to help. Jesus wants to forgive you from all of your sin, which is acting as the biggest storm. It's acting as the waves and the wind which are buffeting you off course from encountering God. Jesus has taken that storm away from you by dying on the cross 2,000 years ago so that you can have a straight, safe journey into the presence of God if you trust your life into him. But you have to stop working in self-reliance, in your own effort, Otherwise, you might even mistake Jesus altogether. In verse 26, the disciples saw Jesus on the lake and they were terrified. It says, they cried out, it's a ghost. In fear, they cried out. They see Jesus coming towards them. And I like to think one of the disciples on the boat sees this mysterious figure coming towards them on the waves and I like to think maybe John, he seems to be the one with a bit of a quip, turns out, there's something strange on the lake ahead. Who are we going to call? No, not Ghostbusters. Hasn't even been brought out on film yet. Don't call Ghostbusters. But I, the thing is, in that moment, they're probably more likely to turn to Ghostbusters than God. They just cry out in fear. It's a ghost. The disciples in that moment spot Jesus coming to them but they don't recognise him because he seems distant they were so engrossed in their own efforts in the storm that they're in that they were so determined to get through it that they missed that Jesus the real Jesus is there with them in that storm often all kinds of people maybe your friends, family, relatives people you work with, often the world around us mistakes Jesus because to them he seems distant. He seems uh, mystic, ethereal, spiritual, other, ghost-like. Often to them Jesus seems irrelevant to the situations they're in, irrelevant to everyday life, irrelevant to the storms that they're experiencing. He seems far off in distance. Even to Christians, sometimes Jesus seems like this. Maybe you're here and you just think, Jesus feels distant today. He feels far off 
irrelevant to the storm that I am facing, irrelevant to the situation I'm in. It's not true. Jesus is there with you, walking beside you in that storm. And he's saying the same thing that he says in verse 27. Take courage, it's I. Take courage, it is I. Jesus is saying, I'm with you in your storm. Jesus is close to you in your times of trouble. If only you know he's there. But also we act like the disciples and we strive in our own effort and we often miss that Jesus is not only just there with us but he's providing a solution to the storm we're in. He's giving us a helping hand and yet we see him and we cry, ghosts! We actively pitch ourselves against him because we think that's not the way God would do it. You know, God wouldn't walk on water. That's just weird. That's not like every day. You might even think that's preposterous. It's not what I was expecting. Are you missing the real Jesus and what he's doing in the storms that you are facing because you're just trying to get through with sheer determination and self-reliance. Because here Jesus is doing something that's completely unexpected. Completely out of the ordinary. He's walking on a lake. He's doing the impossible. He's walking on water. I vividly remember trying to walk on water many times when I went swimming as a child. It doesn't work. You run, you maybe get a step and plummet to the bottom. Jesus is doing the out of the ordinary. He's doing the amazing. And it's not like the pictures you will have seen in Sunday school, in your picture book children's Bibles, where Jesus, with his long hippie hair, his beautiful beard and makeup, steps out onto a glassy still bit of water. That's not what's going on here. Jesus is stepping out in the midst of the storm with the waves and the winds. I'm imagining humongous waves and Jesus probably surfing down them at serious pace, not a leisurely stroll. I imagine he does a few 180s and cool turns. And verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Peter is the only one of the disciples who actually gets something of the real Jesus here who actually understands something. Peter asks, if I can join you on the water, Jesus, can I join you on the water? And Jesus says, come. Suddenly, Peter has taken his eyes off of the storm, off of the situation that he's in, and he's fixed them on the mighty face of the real Jesus himself. And as he does that, he's able to step out of the boat and walk towards him. Peter, he's kind of the ready, fire, aim guy. He's the act first, think later. And after he's jumped out of the boat and he's walking on the water, he's walking towards Jesus, he suddenly suddenly starts to think. 
he suddenly starts to slip his focus off of Jesus and on to the storm again. And as he does that, he begins to sink and drown. And Jesus reaches out, catches him. And Jesus doesn't congratulate him. He doesn't go, well done, you've done two steps. You're the only other person on the planet other than me to ever walk on water. Well done. That's not what Jesus does. Instead, in verse 31, Jesus, after immediately reaching out his hand and caught him, he says, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? Jesus rebukes him. You of little faith. And asks the cutting question, why did you doubt? In the original language that the Bible was written in, which is Greek, the literal translation of that word is, why did you look in two places? We tend to look at Peter and we admire him for his initial burst of faith. His initial believing the words of Jesus over the laws of physics and stepping out of the boat and walking on water. But Jesus, he's appalled that anyone would believe anything less than that. Why did you look in two places? Peter had lost focus. His eyes had slipped off of Jesus and he'd suddenly become confused, scared and started to sink. Now, he was like a confused lion. Let me explain this, because I was always very puzzled by lion tamers, okay? Some of the stuff they have makes sense. The whip, makes sense. Keep back, keep at bay, I'll whip you away. The gun that they've got in their pocket makes sense. If the whip fails, the lion starts coming at me, I can take a pop, and he's down and out, and I'm safe. The thing that really confused me was the little stool, Why do you have the little stool? Is that so that when you get bored of whipping the line, you can just put it down, have a seat, and just keep whipping away? What what is with the storm? The stool, it's not going to act as a very good barrier. Lions can smash through it. The point of the stool is that as the lion tamer holds up the stool, the three points of the legs then confuse the lion, because the lion can only focus on one thing at a time. And he, tries, he gets confused and tries to focus on all three points of this stool. And because he's got a one-track mind, he gets confused and just sits down. Peter tried to focus on more than one thing, got confused and just sunk. And we can do the same thing in our lives. I do this when I'm praying for the sick, instead of focusing on Jesus and that he is the real Jesus who heals, who loves to heal people, instead of me focusing on that, I start to focus on, oh, oh, uh, but they might not get healed. Generally things don't, and I start to focus on that thing. I get confused and I just sit down like a confused lion and and then I end up not going and praying for the sick. I do it when I try to share the gospel with people. I was um, out seeing some friends from college last night. And I had to force myself because uh, my, one of my old college friends said to me, what, what do you do for a living these days? And I, you know, I can't get out of that one of saying, I start, I start to think, can I focus on something else? Can I tell them, oh, you know, I just do a bit of youth work here and there. But I go, no, I've got to tell them I work for a church. I focus on Jesus. And I think, oh, I'll just make something up. Tell him anything else. I start focusing on other things, get a confused line and sit down. 
We can do that in individuals. We can always find other things to focus on than Jesus. But as I was praying and preparing for this sermon, I felt that there was a real burden for us as a church as well. That if we're not careful as a church, we can take our eyes off Jesus, look to the wind and the waves and the storm that we're in, and we can sink. Because Jesus, he's out there in the storm of Lewis. He's out there and he's saying the same words he said to Peter. Come, join me. He's calling us to join him in his mission in this town to reach the lost people in Lewis. He's calling us to be the church that Rich and Chris's elders have been sort of casting the vision of that they feel God's leading us in. He's calling us in that we are to be the church that is everywhere in this town. We're to be the church that has someone from King's Church living on every street in this town. We're to be the church that is in every club, society, organisation in this town. We're to be a church that is going out and meeting people where they're at and bringing them to know him. But we could quite easily as a church look to the wind and the waves around us. We can look to the statistics and be like Peter, a confused lion, sit down and do nothing. We could say, look, what, what is there, 20,000 people in the region? We're only 100 people in the church. We could go, look, there's hundreds if not thousands of roads. How are we going to get a King's Church member on every single street corner? You know, there's loads of societies, organisations, things to do. There's not enough. We can't be everywhere. We can't do it. In that moment, we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we're looking at the storm, the wind and the waves and we begin to sink. We have to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus so that we can get out of the boat and move one step at a time forward. And we can get through the storm. And it was exactly the same last week when Rich spoke about the feeding of the 5,000 and he had missional provision that Jesus gives. Because the disciples came to him and they said, look, send the thousands of people away. Send the crowds away because we, we just don't have enough. All we've got is five loaves and two fishes. We can't do it. No, that's wrong. You've not just got five loaves, two fishes. You've got the real Jesus who provides. So you might be thinking, look, let's look at it. It's impossible. We can't get out everywhere. Let's give up on Lewis. This is as good as it gets. We don't have enough to impact this town. Wrong. We have the real Jesus who provides, meets us in the storm, And takes us through it. So let's do what Hebrews 12 verse 2 says. Fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. Peter looked away. And in that moment started to sink. But he also learned quickly. Because as soon as he started to sink. He cried out Lord save me. Our eyes will often slip, if we're not careful, to the situation around us, to the storms that we're in. And in those moments, we need to cry out to Jesus 
to save us. And as soon as we cry out to the real Jesus, he catches us just like he did Peter. And he brings us through the other side of the storm. And the last thing we're going to look at is that as um, they get to the other side of the lake, Jesus and the disciples, they continue on their mission. They continue doing what they were doing before. They heal a whole bunch of people. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to do the same thing. We're going to pray for the sick. So if you're feeling under the weather, if you're feeling beaten, battered, bruised, sick, in pain, we're going to get you up here and we're going to pray for you. And we're going to pray fixing our eyes on Jesus, not on the situation. We're not going to try looking in two places at once. We're going to look to the real Jesus who heals. We're not going to say, this is impossible. We're going to say, Jesus can heal. So, if you're here and you're sick, you've got anything wrong with you, pain, cold, broken bones, anything like that, I want to just invite you to come forward now. I think if we're, everyone could stand as well, because we're also going to have another time of worship where we're just going to sing a couple of songs, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who is with us in the storms. But if you are sick or you're in pain or anything like that, if you could just come forward just to the front sections here and then I will pray and we'll get some members of the church to pray for you.